0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the pilot episode of STEMcast, a weekly talk on anything and everything that concerns you about STEM education and the future of our children and our world. My name is Salifa Khalifa. I'm a social entrepreneur and the co founder and CEO of Clever Play, an award winning online and offline STEAM education platform for kids. And today, I'm super excited to talk with our very first guest. I describe her as a true STEMinist, a strong female voice in the campaign to champion the pursuit of STEM fields among the youth, and in particular, women. She earned a Bachelor of Physics from NYU Abu Dhabi, where for her graduating thesis, she designed a CubeSat mission. She pursued this after her internship at the Italian Space Agency in Rome, working under the Agile mission. The payload proposal was the winner of the UAE Space Agency's MINISAT competition in 2018, which gave her team the chance to launch the mission to space. Alongside the CubeSat mission, she's an astrophysics PhD student at UCL Millard Space Science Laboratory in the UK, And today, ladies and gentlemen, I am truly honoured to introduce the co-founder of Arab Women in STEM, the UAE, STEM in the UK, Ms. Ahlam Al-Qasim. So we are on. Mm All righty, Ahlam, it's very nice to have you on our very first podcast on STEMcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, likewise. So I'm going to dig right in and if you can just give us a little bit of an intro as to um, you know, who you are, what you do, and your field of expertise.
1: Sure, um, so my name is Ahlam Al-Qasim, and I was born and raised in Dubai. And um, outside of my studies, I enjoy things like painting and reading and also snowboarding. Um, uh, but going into more of what I actually do, um, I earned a Bachelor of Physics from NYU Abu Dhabi, um, and from there I, I had a graduating thesis where I designed a CubeSat mission to study something called um, terrestrial gamma flashes. Um, these are basically just very high energy particles that are emitted from um, Earth's thunder clouds. And um, I actually decided to pursue this after um, an internship during my undergrad at the Italian Space Agency in Rome. And um, eventually, um, me and my team proposed this to the UAE Space Agency's MINISAT competition, um, which won. And so now we're still working on this mission. So this is one of the things I'm continuing to work on um, post-graduating from my bachelor's. And um, alongside the CubeSat mission, um, I'm also an astrophysics PhD student at UCL's Mullard Space Science Laboratory in the UK. And what my thesis focuses on is working on developing a new method to construct X-ray luminosity functions of active galactic nuclei. So active galactic nuclei just basically means that um, I'm studying um, supermassive black holes that are still observed to be active and they're usually find, uh, found in um, at the very centers of very massive galaxies. Uh, so th- those are the types of objects that I focus on. And I guess that's kind of a summary about me.
0: Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, I think um, I think maybe it's, it's safe to say that you're a hardcore feminist and maybe it would be a little bit. <laughs> it would be a little bit interesting to see, or maybe if you could take us back to your childhood. Um, were there anything you know, specifically that piqued your curiosity when you were younger that maybe got you interested in STEM mm-hmm. to start out with?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think one of my earliest experiences of encountering STEM—I wouldn't even say STEM—I would just say science in general. Um, was that I used to sneak into my father's library when I, was, uh, when I was much younger and I used to read through the multitudes of encyclopedias that he used to have in store from his earlier days um, as a PhD student. So I guess back then they didn't have Google, so they had to use encyclopedias and stuff like that. So I used to love going there and, and I would spend hours and lose my sense of time um, just cycling through them. And uh, my favorite volumes were, unsurprisingly, the astronomy volumes. Um, so I think that's where um, that's where my my love for STEM started.
0: Beautiful. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad that you shared the story with us. You know, because I had a similar experience when I was younger. Um, I watched a movie called Frankenstein and me, and I was so fascinated mm-hmm. with. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it, but I was so I've fascinated. Heard
1: of it. I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, it's been one of the movies that I think kind of shaped me because I literally, there was, you know, a mad scientist and they were trying to bring Frankenstein to life. And um, I think that movie in particular got me really interested in science and I wanted to replicate that experiment. Uh, Although, I mean, we needed a a, a rat's uh, heart or something like that. It was just (laughs) ridiculous. Yeah, but that's the thing, you know, it's like sometimes things that you... Uh, personally go through in childhood somehow kind of uh you know you, you just get, continue to enjoy and, and be interested in yeah, even when you're a little it, bit older
1: yeah and it shapes your interest as
0: you grow up <laughs> yeah so you know on that point and uh, today you know we're talking about uh especially inspiring kids in stem inspiring the youth in stem and um if if you were to you know tell young people everywhere uh, who think that maybe science and math are only for the smartest kids. Uh, what would you tell them? Because some, you know, some kids today have that, um, you know, that understanding that, oh, science and math is not for me. It's not, you know, cause I, I don't get good grades in it. What would yeah. you tell, you know, young people who think that way?
1: So I would say that I am literally the prime example of why that's not true. And it's very important to distinguish an acquired skill and inherent intelligence and, you know, what people define smart as, quote unquote. Um, In a nutshell, math is nothing more than a language. Science is nothing more than a way of thinking and learning how to approach different problems. These are skills, these are things that can be learned. People don't view learning new languages the same way as they view learning math, but I think if they did, they would see that it's just a skill that you need to practice and acquire over time, and you eventually get better and better at it, you know, and more fluent in that sense. And um, I think we really need to shift the way we approach and think about um, STEM in that sense, um, because you don't see people having the same reluctance in other fields that also require um, very. Um, very high skill sets um, for you to be an expert and for example if you want to be a top athlete um, people know you have to put in and dedicate your whole life to acquiring a certain set of skill sets to be a professional athlete and it's the same thing you know with science with math with with anything um, that you want to pursue and so there's no such thing as i'm not smart enough to do this it's you know it's a societal construct and I really do believe in this because I started out as an art major. I wasn't, I wasn't pursuing STEM when I started university, and um, I did a whole year of art before deciding to switch to physics. And that was a very big shift for me, and and not an easy one at that because my my background in science and math was actually very weak from from high school. Um, which is why I was reluctant to pursue science and went into art as I have, you know, equal interests in both. Um, but really I would say I'm a prime example of there's no such thing as you're not smart enough. I had to work three times more than my colleagues. That's true. So you will have some struggles along the way if, um, if you didn't have uh, a very strong background, but that's okay. You know, it's just, it's just that people come in with different skill sets and learning sets, and there's no such thing as you. You're never good enough to do something. It's just a matter of putting in the work, understanding where your level is at, and what learning gaps that you need to overcome.
0: Wow, that's uh, that's beautifully put. You know, I think what the underlying message that I'm getting out of this is: it's really the mindset that you bring into it. You know, yeah. if you're going into this uh, thinking that it's going to be easy obviously you're going to be fooling yourself but if you go into it and say okay you know what um, these are just a set of skills I can learn and acquire these skills over time yes Mm -hmm. that might require me to you know to put in the hard work but you know that's what it is at the end of the day you know nothing comes easy.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: I I didn't even know that about you about the the art major so that's wonderful that you shared it with me and Mm so basing basing it on that question specifically like what inspired your choice of uh, you know, uh, transitioning from arts major to a STEM field?
1: So um, I always loved both. So in school, I went to an American system. So we had a credit system the same way you see in college. And I took both science and art electives equally. I loved both of them. It was very difficult for me to choose which one to pursue. And ultimately I chose art first because, um, you know, I, as I said, I did not think <clears throat> uh, I was strong enough. I had a strong enough background to pursue science. Um, uh, but again, even though I'm doing science now, I still love art. So it's, it's kind of like, I don't see them as two separate things um, that necessarily need to clash. Um, and I think what pushed me to pursue science is I always had a what if question in the back of my head, you know, I didn't actually try to pursue science and, but what if I did, would I actually fail? Would I succeed? And I think I, at the end of my first year of university, I realized I don't want that to be a question I regret not having answered 10 years from now. And, um, yeah, I decided to switch my major and give it a shot. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. I would just go back to art and, you know, then I have my answer. So, um, but yeah, it actually turned out to be to be pretty good in the end. Yeah, that's that's
0: usually what happens when you take a leap of faith, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it seemed like you took that leap of faith and it paid off. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's super important what you're talking about because... Uh, you know, you, you might have been vulnerable at that point in life, and you know, thinking about whether or not this is going to work out. Stay in your comfort zone where you know your heart is in the arts, yeah. but also, uh-huh. kind of thinking about the the what if question, like what if I don't actually pursue this, and I might, you know, I might be just as good or even better um, in the sciences. Yeah, um, and and what you know, you, you were talking about the um the merging of arts and sciences, it kind of reminded me of Steve Jobs, you know, because they always draw these parallels yeah. between uh, technology and arts because he, you know, he, he, he is or was an artist in many ways and you can see it in all of yes, the products uh, exactly. designed by Apple. And so I'm, I'm super
1: interested to hear how are you bringing the arts today in your work? So what I would say art teaches you to think outside the box. It teaches you to be creative. Those are some of the main ways of thinking that art teaches you. And it's true that STEM teaches you different ways of thinking that are more towards problem solving. But I think what people don't realize is that only gets you so far. And when it comes to actually doing groundbreaking research um, in, in any STEM field, you need so much creativity. Anyone can learn the basics. Anyone can learn the science. But not everyone can think creatively outside the box and actually address different ways of solving problems. And, you know, a lot of that really, it comes from art. It comes from pursuing different disciplines and, you know, applying what you learned to, to STEM and and to, to whatever it is you're researching. Um, it makes a big difference. So a lot of times, because I've had a more creative background, an art background, when I would talk to my supervisor, um, I would say, well, why don't we do it this way? Or why don't we address this type of question? And he would just sit and think, oh, actually I've never thought of that. Yes, let's do that, you know? So it's, it's kind of a way for you to complement your research and I don't see how they clash. I really don't. I think they both complement each other very nicely.
0: Yeah, very well put. And, you know, when, when you talk about even like just feeding off the, the holistic brain, you're talking about the, the right and the left side of the brain, which are super complementary. And yeah. so while, you know, the STEM feels like you rightly pointed out, uh, you know, it's more geared towards uh, critical thinking, problem solving, you know, all of the logical things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's not neglect as well, you know, the imagination, the creativity and uh, these things. And, and, and so now you don't just hear about... Um, you know, raising problem solvers. You hear about, you know, we, we need creative problem solvers because, exactly. you know, the problems still persist and we have a lot of problems facing us today and going to be even more so in the future. And mm-hmm. what we need is we need people to look at these problems and bring creative solutions to the forefront. Exactly. So it's super interesting how, you know, you're merging these two together. And I'm, I'm glad you say this because uh, a lot of people have that impression that, Um, you know, let's leave the arts out of STEM. And I'm a big proponent of, of, you know, I'm I'm an arts graduate as well, and I'm a big proponent of the arts as well. So um, I'm glad that you're saying, no, you know what, we have to emphasize the A in STEAM.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, this really ties into, you know, what I think is wrong with the current um, education system too. I think this is probably the main thing that really discourages people to, Kind of see the ways in which you know science can be creative and fun and the ways in which art can contribute to that and also the ways that science can t- contribute to art some of the greatest artists were mathematicians and had to know uh, the anatomy of the body very well so they also excelled in aspects of biology so you know people do tend to forget that um and it's very important um to really integrate that back into our education systems, because it seems to have been lost over time, um, the connection that we see between the arts and the sciences. Yeah, so if
0: if I were to dig in a little bit here, um, and if you had the opportunity to change something in the current educational system, uh, how would you approach it? What would you change?
1: Um, I think I would change the way they teach their classes and specifically the way they teach um, STEM. I think the way they teach art is great. They really do encourage you to explore different things. If you wanted to include science in your art, I don't think an art teacher would tell you no. Um, But um, the other way around is obviously a bit more difficult because, um, you know, I think schools emphasize this whole mindset that there are certain facts that STEM teaches you and those cannot be questioned where, whereas science the whole field of science is about questioning is about curiosity and i think i think it should be taught in a way that students should always be encouraged to question something um, beyond what they're taught within a classroom and it shouldn't just be you know passive learning it should be more active and interactive learning you know students should have a say in how they learn and and, um, and be able to interact with the material. I think doing experiments, taking them out on fields to do field work, to do actual science experiments as researchers would do, but obviously you know on a, on a school level. Those, those types of things really engage students in STEM and, and help them see and think in a more creative way. And I think it's really important to, to emphasize that the pioneers of science and math are often people who are very creative and imaginative and had to think outside the box. And they also questioned their own education system at the time. I mean, Einstein is one of the biggest examples. Um, He constantly questioned what he was taught and was criticized by his teachers for doing so. And, you know, um, but this is how you change the field. This is how you, you progress and revolutionize um, what, you know, what discoveries you can find in science. And so I think that should be more integrated into the education systems.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, we're at a point now that finally, you know, if anything gets going to come out of COVID, it's this one, you know, is that we really need to look back at, you know, the education system and see how we can revolutionize it because there's no other way uh, but to move forward and to have it, you know, be, um, you know, keep, keeping it along with the times, right? I mean, we can't yeah. continue to teach our kids uh, the same way that we were taught, or even our parents and grandparents. Exactly. It just exactly. doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, we're living in a different world. Where you know, we're we have different problems to face, and um, you know, we, we require different skill sets and a different mindset altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you touched on uh, on Einstein. So, I'm I'm pretty interested to hear if you have a certain STEM hero or more than one, uh, and if you can maybe share them with, with us and, and why uh, you look up to them the way that you do.
1: So um, I think people would expect me to say Einstein is my hero, but actually one of my STEM heroes is Margaret Hamilton. Maybe oh. not everyone knows about her, but um, she worked for NASA um, during the Apollo mission um, days and i look up to her so much because she really gave up a lot to pursue stem during a time when it was very difficult and much less socially acceptable uh, for women to do so and she not only did that but she excelled in it you know she she competed and even surpassed her male peers who, who didn't even say face the same pressures um, you know of, of giving up your career advancement advancement to being a housewife and and one of her major feats was actually um saving the moon landing and not enough people give her credit for that. And, you know, I, you know, the moon landing wouldn't have been possible without her her algorithm. And I think that's something great. And she continuously um, challenged people around her and um, always exceeded their expectations of her. And I think that's amazing. And that's something I want to embody um, as a woman in STEM. Beautiful. Um, I don't know if you've heard of, um,
0: an individual called dame stephanie shirley
1: uh no i haven't
0: so i just recently read her book i have no idea how i came across it but i'm so glad that i did it's one of those books that kind of you know it just it it was super what would be the word like um it's a paradigm shift in, in the way that I saw things because here was a woman who, you know, th- this was again, back in the, I think it was like early uh, World War Two, and she oh. had to move to the UK. Um, you know, she started a business in tech with no background in business at all. Um, and she was amongst the very first uh, women in the UK who actually um, pushed for programmers who were also freelancers and she had you know basically a team of women working for her uh, wow. and she, yeah so like I literally I'd never heard of this woman and here came the book read it like literally in two days and I was just <laughs> blown away so yeah you know there are nice yeah. from, if if you do have the time on your hands like you know I, I don't know how your your schedule looks like to Right now i think it's pretty packed it's but it's already cute. going
1: on my on my on my list of books to read so you don't even have to say i'm so excited to read it now
0: yes i honestly can't recommend it highly enough i you know i listen to it on audible and then i'm one of those people that if i enjoy the book so much that i also have to have physical copy so i just yeah. Read the book so yeah i think it's it yeah. uh, to get here <laughs> yeah, yeah all right so Maybe if we can transition a little bit about uh, and, and touch on you know maybe some of the setbacks if you've had any setbacks that you've faced while pursuing your studies, um, if you can shed light on any setbacks that you've faced thus far?
1: Yeah, so I think if I've if I had to go back to a, to to a point where I faced my most major struggle, I think it would have been. <laughs> It would have to be um, a very heated exchange that I had um, with the dean of science um, at the time during my undergraduate Um, and I was in his office because remember I wanted to change my major from art to physics and so I had to get his permission to change into physics and he told me flat out that I would fail if I immediately shifted to physics as an art major and He didn't want to give me a chance to take the necessary courses to qualify for the foundation classes that were required for all physics majors, you know, and trying to convince me that I wasn't competent enough. And, you know, that really infuriated me and it made me, it made me so stubborn. And regardless of whether I believed in myself at the time, and God knows I didn't, I insisted and fought just for my right to take those classes to shift my major. And, you know, my perseverance really did pay off. And refusing to listen to him and proving him wrong was one of the best things that helped me in my growth. Um, but it's also important to note that it was extremely difficult at the time to really believe in myself and in, and, and in my abilities. And I went through so many periods of doubt where that really went back to to the doubt that was instilled in me by the dean of the department, because um, he's the dean of science, you know. Um, so I just, I think I'm happy that I didn't listen to him. And I'm happy that I managed to prove him wrong and managed to step on stage and have him hand me my physics diploma when I graduated. So that felt really good. Um, and I think I would really encourage anyone who might be in a similar situation that, they shouldn't listen to any single authority figure in a STEM department, whether they're a dean or a student or a professor. Um, no one has the right to decide what you can or cannot do or define what your own abilities or skill sets are. So that was a big learning point for me.
0: That's beautiful. And I'm so glad you shared this because, again, you know, everyone at some point will probably face a setback and it just depends depends on how you deal with that setback, whether you're okay with it and, you know, just not have it, uh, make you make any progress or you can really take it head on and say, okay, you know what, like, uh, let me be the master of my faith. Let me try and push this and, and see what happens. Yeah. So, um, great learning, uh, learning point right there. And maybe if you can also talk a little bit about, um, if there was a specific, let's say, turning point, if we were to call it that, in your STEM journey thus far, was there one? Uh, what was it? What did it look like for you?
1: I think my turning point was when I passed the foundation courses that the dean of science said I would fail. So I think my whole journey, even though even though I managed to get permission from the provost to take the classes um, at the time. Um, you know, it was very difficult, there was a big learning gap, I was doubting myself the whole time, It w- there was always this idea in the back of my head that I will probably fail and, and that that's okay as well, you know, you also have to kind of make your peace with that, that if you fail that's also okay, and, and, um, and I think when I didn't fail that was a very big turning point for me, I think that was the first time I really started to believe in my abilities. Um, Um, more internally. And especially, you know, the fact that someone who is a higher authority STEM figure um, said I couldn't do it, and I still managed to do it. So that gave me a lot of confidence. And I think that was one of my major turning points. And even the way I interacted with STEM and studied and and, and pursued it um, changed as well, because I gained um, that confidence that I didn't, that I couldn't initially have as a result. Yeah, and uh, did you have like a, a
0: support system that was, you know, by your side backing you up? You didn't, yeah, when you or,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, at the time, to be honest, during that time, because I was very far behind, and my, I had to study much more, um, I had no social life, So there are sacrifices you'll have to make um, while pursuing something difficult. Um, I had no weekends, my weekends were just studying. And I even remember one time we had a gathering at home with guests and I had to study for an exam. And my mom told me, it's okay, just come down with your book and sit there. And I actually just sat in the middle of the gathering and was studying in the middle of it. So I really did lose my my social life at the time, but I think it was totally worth it. And my support system were, were, of course, my family, I can't thank them enough for supporting me, and also my classmates at the time who were also taking the same difficult classes. Um, we were all kind of, you know, we were all bonding through the trauma of uh, of struggling um, through through such a, through such a difficult workload. Um, so I think it's very important to have, classmates who help you and support you and to have study groups and friends um, that you can rely on and, and, you know, ultimately scientists about group work and collaboration. And it's very important to remember that you shouldn't struggle on your own. Um, Reach out to help for sure. Beautiful. So I think it's safe to
0: say that, you know, because you've had that period where you know, you had to literally not have a social life. I think you're, you're pretty all set up, you know, for the whole, whole quarantine situation. Yeah, so you're... Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally, totally. I adapted much more easily
0: than I expected. I hear you. I mean, someone reached out to me a few months ago and she was like, oh, so how, how are you doing with the whole quarantine situation? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I've been quarantining for, you know, for about two years now, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is our time to shine. There you go. Um, So I'm not really missing all that much, to be honest. Like I I think I'm more productive at home, um, just because you know I I can get to the rhythm of things. Um, Yeah, but I mean, outside of it, like going out to the shops or anything like that. I mean, everything's pretty accessible online. It gets right to your door.
1: I'm not really
0: missing all that much. (laughs) Exactly. Nice. So if we can uh, switch gears a little bit, maybe talk about some of your personal habits because. You know, I'm sure someone with your dedication, you've probably built up um, a lot of positive habits along the way. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are probably, let's say, your top habits, uh, which are basically helping you in reaching your dreams and, you know, making you the person that you want to become?
1: I think the top two things that come to my head are time management and perseverance. Um, or maybe not perseverance, but resilience, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, I cannot begin to stress how important time time management is. Um, You really do, if you're pursuing something difficult, you really do have to put the time in to study um, and to stay focused. And, you know, knowing how to prioritize um, what you need to get done, you know, over having fun with your friends or or whatever it is that, that gets in your way. And... Resilience is is even more important because you really do need to um, be able to deal with setbacks and failures when you're not doing very well. And everyone goes through that, whether you're a student or 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 a top researcher. Everyone goes through setbacks, and you really need to know how to deal with it. And um, and I've seen many smart people quote-unquote, smarter people than me, um, who are much better at STEM, but um, who were not very resilient. So as soon as they encountered even the idea of failure, they immediately quit and they changed their majors. And I was very surprised to see that because, you know, um, I knew they had a lot of skill. But ultimately, really what shapes a person is their resilience rather than um, how, how quote-unquote, naturally smart they are. Um, even though I don't like using that word. But um, a lot of people who have a lot of potential don't meet that potential because of their fear of failure and inability to cope with it. Um, and so they run away from whatever it is that's, that's, being, that's difficult. And, and I think that's very important and something that you can work on. It's not something that you just have. Resilience is something you can work on. Time management is something that you can work on. Um, so I really recommend those.
0: Wonderful, and
1: maybe if you could, you know,
0: because right now we have a lot of uh, students, uh, we have a lot of, uh, you know, people staying at home just because of the current situation. So how would you advise them to best use their time
1: with this time? So I would say, um, first and foremost, for students, um, try to focus on your studies. I know it's very difficult, Um, and in your free time, if you do have free time um, um, outside of your studies, Um, try to remember to have a balance, um, a balance in your day, your whole day shouldn't be about studying and your whole day shouldn't be about not doing anything. You need to have a good balance. Um, and I think that's, that's very, very important when you're trying to balance your work and your personal life and it's very important for your mental health. So um, remember to also have things that are just fun for you to do. For me, for example, it's painting or reading a novel. So find some hobbies that you can do. And especially now during quarantine, it's a great time to pick up a new skill. If you ever wanted to learn a hobby or or any kind of skill, it's great and you should start. There's so many, there's so much content online, so many videos and tutorials. And I think people should take advantage of that during quarantine and um, and really do the things um, that make them happy as well. Um, and I think it's important to remember that.
0: Agreed, agreed. Uh, now's the best time to really make the most out of the time that you have. You know, your downtime, quote unquote. Uh, mm-hmm. Sitting at home doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you can be a couch potato. There's so much that you yeah. can do online. Um, and make use of that time. So maybe if you can walk us through what a typical work day looks like for you. You know, you're pursuing your degree, your PhD from a, dis- a distance right now. So what's a typical work day? What time do you wake up? What do you do first thing in the morning? Uh, you know, until what time do you do you work? Uh, yeah, sh- Share with us what a typical day
1: like, looks like. Well, for you? Um, uh, my work schedule is a bit odd um, after being in quarantine. What a typical day would have been like um, if I was still um, in the UK at the lab is um, I would go to the Mullard Space Science Lab during the day um, uh, from the morning, and I would work on my research. And a lot of my work focuses on satellite data, which requires a lot of coding. So um, a lot of my day consists of trying to get my scripts to work and run um, analyses on the data that I have and um, finish my day's assigned tasks and uh, sometimes you also have things like seminars at the lab and journal clubs that we attend um, so there are also other aspects um, of the lab um, of research that that I would be attending and then I would just come home and I have this rule where um, I, I try to work as hard as I can during the day at lab and then as soon as I come home that's my relaxing time and my time to spend on my hobbies and i think ba- like i said balance is very important for your health and your well-being and um, it's it's never a good idea to be a workaholic and makes you less productive over time so maintaining balance is very good and a typical work day in quarantine is very different i my my time schedule has shifted i work until maybe 3 a.m. now or 4 a.m. And I probably wake up around one or twelve or one p.m. It's a very odd schedule that I have, Um, but I'm just a night owl, and I work better at night. Um, So when there's no lab to go to, I um, naturally just shift to working um, into later hours of the night. So, so yeah.
0: I think in your defense, you know, we're living in a very weird time right now in history. So, uh, yeah. you know, whatever it is that's working for you right now, I just keep doing it because in any yeah. case, you know, <laughs> it, it's definitely a situation that we're not necessarily, um, you know, ready to face. So we were yeah. put into the situation. We had to adapt. So uh, work, you know, make it work for you basically. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I just have a few more questions before we wrap up. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about your interests, etc. Uh, what I want to know is really what drives you. What brings you the greatest satisfaction? You know, something that you do that you're like, all right, you know what? Like, just that feeling is is what I'm
1: after. Honestly, um, there is no feeling like the joy you experience when you fix um, a bug in your code. I mean it is something so frustrating that you can work on for weeks and when it finally works it feels so satisfying um and I'm not the best at coding so that's why it feels even more satisfying when I can get something to work so um I love that and um and from a science point of view, I love when I'm learning about something for the first time and it clicks with past information that I've learned, and I feel like I'm getting a very well-rounded picture of what I'm studying. Mm-hmm. And I really love that feeling because I feel like I'm actually understanding everything rather than, you know, learning something for the first time and and being confused. Um, your past knowledge starts to help you and 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 feed into it, and and I and I really do love that feeling and. And science is a field where you build up on knowledge rather than discover something completely new on your own. It's, you know, we're continuing works of, you know, thousands of scientists before us. And, and I love that, I love that.
0: Sure, uh, you touched on something super important here, which is, you know, really standing on the shoulders of giants. And when yeah. you were recalling that story, uh, it kind of reminded me of a book I just started this morning called, uh, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman.
1: He was oh, talking uh, about. Oh, I have this book. It's on my bookshelf, but I haven't started it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, hey, I, I bet you don't have the time for it. But again, you know, if if you do have that time, um, this this is a good one. Like I just literally just started it this morning. What he was talking about, how he, you know, his greatest uh, satisfactions when he fixes things, just for the sake of, um, uh, you know, the just the, the pure joy of of fixing something that is broken. So
1: yeah. or f-
0: yeah. finding a, a solution to a problem. Very similar to what you touched on. All right. So if we could look ahead, you know, for the next few years, Mm -hmm. what would you say happening along your career path, you know, with this whole uh, fourth industrial revolution settles in, transforms jobs everywhere? What do you see happen to your career path?
1: So I hope that along my career path that I get to see the first human ever to set foot on Mars. I really hope I do get to see that, and I hope that when that happens, that you know maybe somehow I'm involved in that in that process, whether it's from Earth or whether I'm there myself. I don't know. <laughs> Wild thought. Keeping thoughts. Um, all the options
0: open. <laughs> yeah, keeping all
1: options open. Um, but yeah, you know, um, science achievements are all about teamwork and international collaborations, and I really hope. Um, through my studies and through my work, you know, to put my country, um, the UAE, on an equal pedestal with um, with other uh, countries worldwide um, in producing science research and also contributing to space science. And I think, you know, the hope uh, Mars mission that's about to launch in five days is a prime example of that. I'm super excited about that, you know, and the UAE is really, um, uh, is really contributing um, a lot to the space sector. Mm-hmm and we're all very excited for that.
0: Yeah, here, here. So just before we close, I wanted to shed light on all the amazing work and advocacy that you're doing for, you know, gender equality in STEM, uh, you know, mm-hmm. co-founding uh, the Arab Women in, uh, in STEM, and also your authentic efforts for the causes of uh, UAE STEM in the UK. So maybe if you can walk us a little bit, you know, through why you've, created the initiative AWIS and you know what are maybe some of the initiatives that you are a part of with the the UAE STEM um, and UK?
1: Yeah of course so um, I'm very passionate about um, science outreach and communication and I think um, people don't do it enough people don't communicate science enough in a way that it's understandable to the public and that's really what gets people interested in science. and so that led me to, to, to be a co-founder of, of these two initiatives that you just mentioned, Arab Women in STEM and, and UAE STEM in the UK. And um, I'll start with uh, Arab Women in STEM. And the inspiration behind that is um, is because uh, me and my partner, Ashim and I had a desire to change the fact that Arab women were increasingly underrepresented um, worldwide in the global science community, um, despite Um, having a very large number of them contributing to STEM, whether it was um, through science, through engineering, through maths. There are so many Arab women contributing to this field and yet we never see them um, represented, not worldwide and not even in in Arab countries actually. So um, we really had the desire to change that and that was um, the idea of this initiative and why it was born and, we really want to promote and celebrate and recognize um, all Arab women's um, contribu- uh, contributions um, to STEM and we hope through that, that we encourage young females to pursue STEM careers because, you know, they have they have role models that come from similar backgrounds to them and it's something that they can look up to and, and people that they can interact with. Um, um, and we hope that that, that really shifts the dynamic of, of how we see STEM as being male dominated when it's not actually male dominated. There are so many women contributing to it. Uh, and some of the um, projects we were working on is, um, well, the first one was um, a, a women in space conference. We were going to have a panel Um, consisting of um, leading Arab women uh, in STEM, um, talking about um, their experiences and their struggles and what they've achieved through their STEM careers. That was actually supposed to be held um, this year in May, um, but because of the pandemic, it was postponed to next year. So we're still very excited for that. Um, And if people want to sign up, they can check um, our social media accounts at uh, Arab STEM Women. Another initiative that we're working on is uh, a partnership with uh, Letters to a Um, Pre-Scientist. I really love this initiative because um, it really connects scientists to students um, in schools um, who might still be thinking about pursuing science and are still discovering their curiosity and uh, connects them with the fields that they're um, directly interested in. So let's say a student is interested in space, Um, Letters to a um, uh, Pre-Scientist gives them a pen pal, who's a scientist um, working in a space field, and they exchange um, a series of letters with each other, uh, and the students can directly interact with the scientist. So we're working with them um, for this uh, upcoming academic year, and uh, we're um, going to be taking in submissions very soon. um, So also, if you're interested in that, um, uh, check out our accounts. Um, and moving on to UAE STEM in the UK, um, this was founded by um, uh, by research students who are Emirati in the United Kingdom, and so we came together and said, um, you know, uh, we would love to do some outreach activities within the UK that represent um uae's contribution to stem Um, and so this was formed and um one of our first and long-standing collaborations is with the science museum in london and we participate in this event called the science museum lates every month um the lates are basically um uh for 18 plus and it's just open to the public anyone can come and the idea is that it's it engages scientists and people from tech and anyone doing science, really, um, with members of the public. And each month is a different theme. And um, you have to kind of present science in a very creative way. So what we're trying to do or what we were doing um, for the past year is um, highlighting um, a different um, Emirati um, uh, scientist or, or person in STEM uh, depending on each month and if it uh, matches up with their field um, and, you know, organizing an activity that really connects the public, um, the, the very diverse public in the UK with the kind of science that um, that UAE students are doing. And uh, so that's one of the major highlights, and we're very happy with that. And of course, things have been suspended now because of the pandemic, um, but as soon as things are kicking back, we're going to continue that. So. Um, Again, if you're interested in doing that, um, there's a form for you to sign up. Um, if you have a cool idea that you wanna, that you wanna do at the Science Museum um, that's related to your field, and if there's a similar theme that it can be applied to, um, we could totally work with that and we'd be really excited for that. So uh, yeah, you can reach us at um, UAE STEM on Twitter and, uh, and on Instagram.
0: Such great initiatives and you know, I wanna take a second here to acknowledge you because I'm beyond proud of, you know, everything that you've achieved thus far and I have no doubt in my mind that this is just the beginning for you. Um, I'm Thank you know so Absolutely. You know, I'm like I said, I mean I'm I'm a fan, you know, on and offline. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm eager to see, you know, uh, where you're going to reach reach out to next and what you're going to do. I have no doubt that, you know, uh, with what you're doing today, you're you're reaching a lot of people. You're leaving your impact, and maybe if we were to to close on a specific question, that question would be: If you had a STEM mission for your life, mm-hmm. what would that STEM mission be?
1: I think my STEM mission would be encouraging more youth to pursue the natural sciences, despite um, social pressures to go um, for the more safe option, which is engineering, at least that's the case in in the Arab region. And I I want the UAE to eventually become a hub for top STEM research and to compete globally, um, especially within the space sector. and STEM does sound scary and intimidating, but it shouldn't be. And I really want that to change. And I think the only way we can do that is, you know, by really reaching out to the youth, and being able to communicate with them, being able to show them why it can be fun.
0: Love the mission. And I, you know, I support it 100%. And with that, you know, uh, I wanted to say thank you very much uh, for being with us, Ahlam al the first uh, guest on our podcast and we look forward to you know to seeing you and your achievements and like we'd like to say onwards and upwards always
1: thank you so much thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me for your podcast i'm very happy to be here
0: absolutely so uh, if you could just share with us if people wanted to reach out to you what would be the best way for them to reach out to you
1: yeah sure so i have a public um, instagram and twitter the username is the same it's at astro ahlam Um, so yeah you can follow me there and interact with me Um, I'm pretty friendly so um, (laughs) I love all STEM enthusiasts Um, so yeah you can reach me out through there
0: that was Ahlam Al-Qasim an astrophysics PhD student from the United Arab Emirates thank you for joining me today If you want more Stemcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time.